Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy for Me. And I'm sat on the veranda, or the decking, uh, outside our um, lodge that we're staying at, uh, at a very nice campsite called Travella, uh, which is just sort of outside New Quay near uh, my favourite beach, which is called Crantock. Uh, but we'll, co- we'll get to that and we'll cover that through the course of the episode. So we've got, we've got five little slices of, uh, of, of Cornwall, uh, through the course of the week, a bit similar to the the kind of vibe from the Scarborough trip from last year, uh, which we will get on, uh, but not before a little bit of that twangy guitar. <laughs> So if it, if it hadn't been evident from um, last week's uh, podcast, uh, I made the I've made the decision to run the entire Camel Trail in small chunks. I ran um, I think I told you last week I ran I ran the first bit and then ran uh, backwards from um, Dunmere Holt back to where I'd been and 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 back again. And I made the decision that um, over the weekend that I was gonna I was gonna do the whole the whole thing, which is meant for the middle sections, which are quite buried uh, in, in sort of fairly rural Cornwall, um, having to drive to certain spots to, to be able to either go back to where I finished the previous day or to go further forward and then come back. And I've been running sort of to and from, so I've parked somewhere, you know, run two or three miles in one direction, turn around and run back and then added that in. And I've got to cover effectively the 17 miles of the Camel Trail, but in reality I'll end up running it virtually twice uh, because I'm, I'm parking in a spot and, and doubling back. And uh, yesterday I drove into the into the depths to a place called Grogley Holt, uh, which is a great name, absolutely fantastic name, but really is in the middle of nowhere. Um, it was I did sort of four miles on on those roads that you get in Cornwall, where there literally is only in, in, enough enough width for one car, with the kind of banked up sides, and uh, and then the regular sort of uh, little spots where people could overtake. Though I didn't see many people, it was early Sunday morning, and I hardly saw anybody while I was there. Um, but I did the stretch from from Grogley, um, which was a lovely stretch, um, and ran back down to um, to Dunmere Holt, and then turned around and came back, and then ended up running a little bit further on to to find a landmark. Because obviously, part of the problem with doing this is is you know most of the trees look the same, so you need to have some kind of landmark as to be really sure that you've run far enough in one direction um, if you're doubling back. So uh, I, I knew I knew I'd start at Dunmere Hall. That was fairly easy. I ran back to Dunmere Hall, ran back, and then I did another half a mile to to a, uh, and found a, a bridge. And there aren't many bridges, um, bizarrely, sort of over the a road running over the top of the, uh, the what would have been the railway track. So I found this bridge, and I thought, well, that's great. I'll be able to recognise that because I'm going to run from Wade Bridge back to there. Um, on Tuesday and then run back um, to Waybridge so I needed a fairly recognisable spot and I arrived at Grogley Holt and I saw a sign um, that would have uh, I assumed was pointing down towards Grogley Holt and at each one of these places as you'd expect there's a car park Uh, I mean this was a railway line up until uh, 84 Um, so I drove down the, the very, very, I'd come off a single track road onto a very narrow little track and it was quite a severe kind of uh, drop and turn round a bend on this single carriageway track 
Um, and I turn around and I started down this long path to what I thought would be a car park at the end and I got halfway along and there was, there was just these two great big boulders and where, uh, as it turned out, they were repairing a bridge. Um, so I had to stop and, and reverse back a couple of hundred yards and then r around an upper corner back onto the main road, which was a little bit hairy. So that was a kind of a weird way to start uh, the run. But after that, everything was everything was uh, you know was great, and the run was absolutely absolutely fantastic. So I found a, a, a PDF, uh, quite a nice sort of PDF of the trail, uh, which I'll I'll bang on the notes because it gives you a bit of an idea how it actually all works and runs and it's it's vastly different it's already looking you know I mean, I'm only I'm collectively I'm about 10 miles in now I suppose um, and it's looking it's looking different in different stages and and you, you know you run next to the river in part and then um, you you don't you don't run there and then you, there's a section with really really high trees we've gone through a section that's more kind of probably you know sort of lower trees more sort of general foresty type thing but still built up on most on most sides just with these odd little hamlets of houses that you that you get as you you know as you run along so uh, so it's, it's it's quite interesting so far and then I've got I've, I've the the hope is I can do the Waybridge back to Grogley section um, and then um, I think I'll ha have to run the last section, which is from Weybridge all the way to Padstow, which is about five miles. I'll probably have to do that just in one direction, work out how I'm going to do that. Because I kind of like to finish in Padstow. I'd like to run the right way to finish. So uh, we'll see how that how that goes. And I'll uh, whatever ever detail I can find you about the Camel Trail, I'll, I'll bang on the notes. <laughs> I'm walking back from Newquay um, and I've come uh, through the town and I'm now walking down the estuary for the Gannel, the River Gannel, which hits the sea at Grantock Beach. Um, but I'm not going to get anywhere near um, seeing the sea. It's, uh, it's quite a long, um, it's, a, it's a long sort of um, estuary that you can walk along. And, and actually, I've just walked past some horses. It's obviously been used as a um, a bridle path, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, bridle path if you're going to take horses out for a bit of exercise or for a ride, it's, it's, it's great. Um, and I've just um, arrived near a point where um, I'm, I'm sat looking at a bank on the. I'm sat on the rocks. Clearly, it's a it's a beach or like a beach, and I'm looking at um, some boats and a little boathouse on the other side, which I've uh, just snapped a picture of. And I've only stopped really. Didn't intend to record today's section here but I've stopped one because it is just so breathtakingly beautiful two because you've got the sounds of being outdoors and 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 you can hear the sea you can just hear the sea and it sounds a little bit like um, that kind of white noise that you used to get on a television if you used to wake up having fallen asleep in front of the television and you wake up and the programs are finished and you just had the little the white noise on screen it sounds a little bit like that in the in the far distance um, and, and I was I'm stopping really just to, to tell you about a fantastic edition of the Political Party podcast. I know I shouldn't really talk about politics when I'm actually in such a beautiful spot, but um, I've been listening to... Uh, there's this show called The Political Party that uh, Matt Ford does, and, um, and I've listened to it off and on for, for a few years now. Um, and he does live shows, and he has guests on for these live shows. And I've just listened to one that he did a, a couple of, uh, I don't know if it's weeks or a month ago or whatever it would be. Um, and it's with Peter Mandelson, 
and it's absolutely fantastic. It's incredibly funny, but it's incredibly interesting as well about um, about new Labour, about ideas towards what Labour would need to do um, to become electable. A really sharp, critical analysis of of you know of where the party's been over the past sort of decade. So I'll put the link in the notes, but if, if you, and I'm not, there's 260 odd or however many episodes of this thing, so I'm not suggesting you go through it all, but if you, uh, if you fancy a listen, then the Peter Mandelson, to be, to be fair, the live show's full stop, the Jess Phillips one, the Keir Starmer one are all really, really good, but the Peter Mandelson one is absolutely incredible. So I would, I would give that as my recommendation whilst looking out over this fabulous, fabulous view. And I think when I've switched off in a second, I'm just going to take a few minutes, sit here and soak this in for a little while. Wednesday. The sound you can hear um, in the background, um, I'm assuming you can hear in the background, is the gentle sound of beach life uh, and we're down at Crantock Beach um, which is a beach I first came to when I was I've been trying to work it out but I think when I was around about 10 or 11 and it's down um, it's kind of nestled just south of Newquay and it's an in, it really is a truly incredible beach it's an estuary so uh, the river Gannel joins the sea uh, here which means there's effectively at, at, at high tide uh, because the river's obviously tidal at high tide. There's what is, you know, a river that's 30, 40, in fact, probably more, 60, 80 feet across uh, and quite deep that goes down the side of, of one part of the beach with against the coastline and then into, and then it opens out into a really wide, really, really wide bay. And it's great for, uh, I mean, it's just beautiful sand and, and, it's, and the sand dunes and it's great for surfing and it, and it really is one of those truly epic Cornish beaches, the kind of things you, you know, when you think of Cornwall, you think of. Um, and there's a few things I've been thinking about while I've been, I've been sat here. One, um, I've been thinking that uh, windbreak design hasn't changed in all the time I've been alive. So if you, if you know, if you don't know what a, wind, a windbreak is, uh, windbreak, um, is essentially um, half a dozen poles with fabric in between, and you um, you know you you knock them in with a mallet or a big stone or what have you, and you you create yourself a little wall between the wind, normally the wind coming off the off the sea, um, and where you're going to sit to help keep everybody dry and, and what have you. And and looking around now, these windbreaks could have been the same windbreaks that you know, I would have expected to have seen when I was coming here at the age of 10 or 11. So, um, interesting, there's been no movement whatsoever in windbreak design in all of those, in all of those years. There's a few, there's a couple that are quite interesting with ice creams on them or, um, you know, stone walls or what have you, but essentially those kind of stripy windbreaks, that's still exactly what you're seeing, you're seeing everywhere. So that's the first thing. Second, the second thing, obviously the last one was a little bit of nonsense, but there seems to be a whole new um, the, well, there seems to be a, a group of left-behinds, of which I'm in the left-behind group, and then there's a whole new group of people. So you can categorise people quite easily now uh, on the beach, and I don't know if it's a Cornish thing or whether it's just in its element in Cornwall, it probably did stem from Cornwall. Um, 
but and it, and it all goes around beach wear now. So um, the, the the vast majority of people on the beach have got some form of wetsuit on. So if if you're in the left behind group, and that's me, then I'm in the left behind group of people who don't own a wetsuit. But clearly, I'm absolutely in the minority down here. Everybody's strutting up and down the beach now, and it's entire families. It's not just kids. It's entire families are in wetsuits. Um, so one you then get is you get this kind of, um, uh, we, we now split between the kind of holiday wetsuiters, uh, which to be fair, our kids fall into that category. And these are, these are people wearing the shorty wetsuits. So they're the ones that just go down, they just, they, they sit above the knee and they're short sleeved. And, um, and, and that seems to have been, you know, the bare minimum entry requirement now seems to be a shorty wetsuit. It's almost like you're not allowed on the beach unless you've got a shorty wetsuit. So there's, 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 whole, there's whole groups of people. Now, the kids look fine in shorty wetsuits. Of course they do. Um, not convinced it's working quite as well with the adults. But anyway, that seems to be the bare, the bare minimum. Then you move next on to um, the, the, the full wetsuit. So these are these are these are, and, and normally what tends to happen is the wetsuit is then linked to what you're carrying under your arm. So the shorty wetsuit brigade tend to be carrying bodyboards, and the bodyboard bodyboards are these kind of PV you know PVC or whatever they're made of, um, sort of half surfboard things. And you, you go out on the beach, you go out in the sea, and you wait and you jump into a wave and you you get brought back in effectively you know with, with you lying on this this bodyboard. So the the shorty wetsuit brigade tend to have, to, tend to be carrying a bodyboard underarm. Then you get the, the the full wetsuit brigade, and they tend to have either a paddleboard or a surfboard. Now it's not that there's not rule there. It's not how it has to be, but it is something that seems to be um, the norm. Um, is that shorty wetsuit guys, bodyboard? In fact, a whole group have just walked past now. Then you've then you've got your, your as I say your full wetsuit guys. They're the one with the paddle boards or with the uh, paddle board being the new phenomena, or with um, you know or with a, a full surfboard, and they have their different places on the beach. Then you've got the next group, which is the full wetsuit brigade, uh, in, and this is obviously male, um, but wandering around with uh, almost Putin-esque, um, with bare-chested but wearing full. So that's the that's the that's the third look. There's a lot. Of, I have to say, there's a lot of slightly balding middle-aged men seeming to think that that's their look at the moment. So they're they're um, they 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 reckon they've been to the gym enough. They're fairly impressed with themselves. So they're wandering around with their full um, wetsuit, half mast, bare-chested. As I say, slightly slightly um, Vladimir Putin riding a horse type of vibe. And then we split into, and that's kind of the three kind of wetsuit delineations. But then what we've now thrown into this is this whole dry robe uh, thing. And so a dry robe, which is essentially a, a, um, a toweling bathrobe, but with sort of a coating on the outside. So it looks a little bit like a, a bit like one of those big long football jackets, but, with, but essentially with a, a towel. Uh, and, and it has it is twofold advantage. One is you can get dressed, undress or dressed or change in and out of your various bits of surf attire underneath your dry robe. But then the second, obviously, thing is that if you just get out of the sea, you put your dry robe on and you you are now you're now warm. So, um, but the the thing with the dry robe is 
um, they seem to now become they have become the new attire just to spend the second half of the day so you're either in your wetsuit you're in your dry robe and that now seems to be the new the new thing so your 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 shorty wetsuits your minimum cost of entry and then from then on you move through to your full wetsuit which might then affect what boards under your arm and then what you if, if you're a if you're a full wetsuit only you have to have a dry robe as, as well i'm not even at step one of this particular plan so i am i am one of life's or certainly one of the cornish left behinds It's the sound of seagulls again and the sound of, of, uh, of the coast, but uh, it's not the beach this time. I'm sat um, overlooking Padstow Harbour, uh, which is, as you can hear, has got a main road uh, running around it. And uh, we've been coming to Padstow for 20 to 25 years. It's got to be getting on 25 years now. And this place has changed a hell of a lot in all of that time. Uh, it doesn't look like the, uh, the, 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 the little fishing village, a very much working fishing village it was when I first came. And it's dominated by a lot of um, sort of, not designer brands, but, but fairly hipster sort of brands or, or slightly kind of, um, I want to say middle class brands, but it's the wrong way round. But it's, it's, it's full of the white stuffs and... Uh, and, and all those sort of Timberland and uh, Havanas and all that kind of those kind of things, um, and a lot of the places, you know, which I remember from the first few times we, we came have now disappeared. I'm looking over at what used to be a great fish and chip restaurant and sort of that kind of restaurant you get by the sea kind of thing, you know, captain's table kind of vibe, and it's now Mountain Warehouse. And it's not to say it's not a nice place, but it's just become a tourist haven. Um, I'm here because I've just finished um, running the Camel Trail. The Camel Trail finishes off in, in Padstow and I've just done the final section. Um, and taking 10 minutes just to record this and, and have a quick coffee before I, uh, I head back. Um, and there's, there's probably, I've got three facts for you, three facts for you about Padstow that you probably, you probably don't know. One of them you won't know because it's completely unique to me, but two, two other facts. And no, I'll give you three. I'll give you three facts about and then one, one unique thing. So here's the first fact about Padstow. Uh, one of the things they do here is they dredge um, the, um, the estuary for sand. And if you sit at one end, and it's quite actually quite therapeutic to watch, literally every 10 minutes on the nail, um, or every half an hour on the nail or whatever it is, you get, uh, you get um, a wagon turn up uh, that reverses round uh, onto the quayside, and they, they fill it with sand and they dredge it for sand and they fill these wagons and then there's these constant streams of wagons going to and from Padstow uh, full, of, full of dredged sand. So that's fact number one. Fact number two, the National Lobster Hatchery is here. In fact, it's on the, uh, it's on the quayside as well, which is something that goes uh, missed by a lot of people who just pop in to see where uh, Rick Stein's restaurant is, have a walk around and, and, and wander back with a, with a, with a, you know, a, a load of stuff in a fat face bag. Um, and um, and I, do you know what? I've just completely forgotten. For now, I've just remembered. Fact, fact number three. Um, there's a um, 
a little water taxi that runs between here and Rock, which is um, on the opposite uh, side of the estuary. And Rock's become quite a place for um, to be seen. Uh, it's one of those places that um, a lot of the celebs take come when they come to Cornwall. They stay in Rock, so Rock's one of the places to be to be seen. But the interesting thing about the water taxi is there's a great big bank, uh, sort of bank of sand in the middle of the estuary that they have to navigate round, um, and that bank of sand is called the Doom Bar. And that's the uh, that's the thing that the uh, that if any beer drinkers amongst you will know, that's the thing that the beer was named after because the the brewery that originally brewed Doombar, Sharp's Brewery, that's over in Rock. So it was named after the bank of sand that's in the middle of the estuary. Uh, that boats, you know, unless you know the waters, boats will will run aground on. So there's the three there's the three facts for Padstow. Um, the other thing, the thing that unique to me, is I was finishing the trail. Um, unbeknown to me, uh, Alison's just told me, I ran past um, a friend of mine called Ted, who's a friend I've known, uh, Ted's been a friend for, for 30 plus years, and we know they're down here, and we know they're staying in Rock, uh, because Ted and Deb's would stay at a place where it's good to be seen, and, um, and there, we know they're staying in Rock, so he's come across on the taxi, we think, this morning to go for a run down the Camel Trail, and we've literally run past each other, and neither of us have seen each other. So it was only when I got back to the car and Alison said, oh, Ted's just walked, run past. And it would have actually been a perfect way, it was nearly a perfect way to complete my camel trail journey um, in terms of uh, meeting up with one of my oldest friends. But actually, as, as, as you'd expect, we've, we live 100 and, we're 180, 200 miles apart, but we've just actually been within six feet of each other and not recognised each other at all. But uh, with that, I'll leave you with the sounds of Padstow and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab my flat white. Friday. I can't think of a better way to finish this week's TFM and indeed to finish our holiday actually because we're heading back home um, later on this evening um, than to be sat where I'm sat at the moment. I'm sat on the headland at Travone Bay uh, which is just outside Padstow and I'm sat on, um, I'm sat on the bench uh, in memory of Sorrel and Diane Price and Sorrel and Diane who I never met um, were Dan, my good friend Dan Price's parents uh, and we'd often come here uh, when we were in Cornwall and just have a moment and uh, with Dan's dad and then used to let him know that we'd been down here um, and I'm sat here um, terrible really middle of the day drinking with a Jack Daniels and Coke uh, toasting and saying goodbye to Dan um, in probably the most appropriate way um, I think it's it's possible possible to do. He loved a Jack and Coke. In fact, many an evening did we spend with Jack and Cokes in our hands. Um, and although uh, I probably uh, shouldn't condone middle of the day drinking, though uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with drinking in the middle of the day. It just makes me fall asleep. Actually, that's the only downside. Um, but it just seemed the right thing to do. So what a what a great way to what a great way special way to end the. Um, end the week uh, and it is a, a, a place of a real beauty um, you know uh, just a, a lovely little Cornish Bay uh, the kind of which there are so many around but who knows for what reason individual ones become so special to you so in the same way that Crantock's special to me then this place was very special to Dan's family um, and and just nice to know that his his dad's bench is here as a memento to that. I hope you've enjoyed uh, your week. Hope you're well. Um, 
hope you've enjoyed a week's worth of on location recordings um, and uh, back to normal for next week um, and we'll see what we'll see what the weekend brings Sheffield United playing Huddersfield tomorrow so we're going back home tonight so we've been back in plenty of time to go to the football tomorrow so here's hoping we have a reasonable journey back and that, and that the football actually goes well tomorrow though it's not boding well at the moment um, but let's not talk about that I'll leave you with I'll leave you the sound with you the sound of the sea at, at Travone Bay and I wish you all the very best and hope you stay safe if you've enjoyed therapy for me then please subscribe and share as you see fit this has been an a short stories production